Welcome to Married by Design. How do you handle not having everything that you desire? Would you describe yourself as content in your circumstances or grumbling and always wanting something more? That's what we'll be looking at on this episode of Married by Design. The purpose of the Married by Design podcast is to encourage couples to enjoy all that God has for them in their marriage relationship. We're in a series right now entitled Together But Alone. It's all about helping people in difficult marriage relationships when there's a disconnect. People are married but feel very alone and isolated from their spouse, and we've been looking at the biblical answers to that. Does it mean that we can take away all the pain and frustration? Well, no. But in the midst of those things that you face, we've been looking at how to manage those things and have a life of victory. Everyone enters the marriage relationship with expectations and hopes. Sometimes those expectations are not met, and sometimes it's because of factors outside of our control. We started last week looking at how to deal with discontentment. The Bible has a lot to say about discontentment, and that we don't have to live with a grumbling, discontent heart. It's a miserable way to live, and it certainly doesn't please the Lord. We looked at that last week in Numbers chapter 11. The children of Israel were grumbling and discontent in their situation. God's response is very clear. He was very angry at them for their discontentment. That's a very convicting point. For the Israelites, God had them where he wanted them at the moment and had given them what he wanted them to have in the way of manna. Their discontentment was a challenge to God and his provision and his plan. That's something we can't miss. When we are discontented, we are challenging God. When we grumble, we are grumbling against Him. We may not think that's a big deal, but it's a big deal with God. You can read about that in Numbers 11. This week we're going to look at how to overcome discontentment. Last episode, we saw an example of discontentment. This week we're going to look at a number of scriptures that will move you away from that discontent heart to a heart of trust and thankfulness. That's the only way to to be if you want to live with peace in your heart to be at peace with your spouse, and to be at peace with God. Last week we looked at the idea that the person who is discontented believes that their wants are needs. We saw this in the Israelites in Numbers 11 when they expressed their desire for all those foods other than the manna that God had provided for them. It wasn't enough for them. They demanded more. And the Bible's full of verses that talk about being content with what we have. Not looking for what we don't have or what somebody else has. Not demanding things of God that we think we need that are really just wants. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 6 verse 6, All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. If we feed that appetite, it will consume us. There always will be a desire for more. There will always be another want that we will turn into a need. God makes it clear in the Bible that we should be content with what we have. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And in 1 Timothy 6 verse 8, Paul writes, But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. That's the best place to be, content with the basics, with the things that you really need like manna. You have to take a step back and ask yourself the question, the things I'm grumbling and discontent about, 
are they wants or needs? That's right. It's interesting what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. He wrote there, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. His contentment was not based on his circumstances or relationships. He found that he learned to be content in every situation. That's convicting. No matter what situation we find ourselves in, we should be content. Again, that doesn't mean we shouldn't strive to improve and grow, but it does mean that we need to put aside the discontent heart and the grumbling. And the main reason why we should put aside the discontented heart and the demand for more from God is because of who He is and what He has done for us. He has provided everything you need. He knows any real need you have and meets it because He is a loving Heavenly Father. Going back to Philippians 4 verse 19, Paul writes, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. It's very clear. Every need that you have, He will supply. The trick is, again, to be careful what we label as needs and what we label as wants. But if we understand who God is and how He cares for us, we can always rest in the reality that He will meet our needs. We should never grumble and complain against God because He knows exactly what we need and He provides it. In Matthew 6, verses 25 and 26, Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what to eat or drink, or about your body, what you shall wear. Is not the life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Since we are so much more valuable than the birds or the flowers, we should have a confidence that all of our needs will be met by Him. Let that sink in. He will meet your needs. If He has not provided it, it's not something you need right now. Well, the third element of discontentment and contentment we looked at last week was that the Israelites failed to see the bigger purpose. Here's where the example of the Apostle Paul is so challenging for us today. We already read that passage where he expresses that he's learned to be content in any situation. When I read the book of Philippians, I'm amazed that Paul talks so much about joy and rejoicing. He's in prison. He's looking at the possibility of being executed. Not the best circumstances, and yet he's content and joyful. So the question is, how can Paul be content and joyful when his circumstances are so bad? I think the answer is that he saw a bigger picture than just his own situation. He wasn't looking at his own wants or even his own needs. Those things weren't important because he saw the bigger picture. He knew that God's plan was for him to preach the gospel and have an impact on the Christians around him. He let all those little inconveniences go and found no time for grumbling or complaining because he was so focused on God's mission. So the question is, do you see God's bigger purpose in your situation? If you set aside the assumption that God is going to give you the perfect marriage right now and make your life easy, you can ask a question, what is he trying to do? Part of the bigger picture is the fact that we can find ourselves in situations where we have a choice to glorify him even in a difficult marriage. When I see people that are struggling with physical trials or other challenges, 
I'm inspired by them when they rise above those things and serve God. It's kind of like what happened to Job when he lost everything and yet he did not turn away from God. What a fantastic example that glorified God. It really wasn't about what Job lost and why he lost it. It was about Job glorifying God by the way that he handled the losses. God can use difficulties and the unmet wants in your life to mold you and change you. We want the easy life, but God wants to change us into his image. And we have to wade through the stretching and the discomfort. He wants to mold and shape you for future impact in ministry. You may not see what God is preparing you for in regards to your future, but the key is that you believe that He does have higher purposes and you focus on that rather than being discontent that life isn't the way you want it. The challenge to rise to the occasion and realize that there is a bigger purpose and that you need to make the most of this time. Another element of discontentment is feeding the discontentment. We saw that last week in Numbers 11 where the rabble fed the discontentment in the Israelites by reminding them of what they supposedly had in Egypt. This made them whine and complain. It's clear from the Bible that we need to put off complaining and discontentment. Part of the solution for that is putting on the correct thinking. That's the key. So much of our Christian life is about what we set our minds on. A key verse is Philippians 4.8. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. You have to shift your mind from what you don't have to the things that are excellent and true and lovely. It's really not that hard to think about God's word, praise music, and answers to prayer, the ways that God has blessed you. If you do that, you will see your discontentment dry up and blow away. And that's so practical and really can impact every area of our Christian life to decide where you fix your mind. The discontent person has fixed their mind on what they don't have and what they think they deserve. The content person fixes their mind on areas that build them up and encourage them despite the challenges. Uh, Paul writes in Colossians 3, 1-3, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Here it is. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's interesting, right after this verse, that Paul talks about putting to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, including evil desires and covetousness, which is idolatry in verse 5. The two go hand in hand. Set your mind on the things above, and not setting your mind on the things of this earth. That way you don't feed the discontentment, but you feed the heart with thoughts that lead to praise and worship. One last thing we want to look at as far as contentment. Contentment is something that you have to learn. You have to work at it to change your heart and get it in a better place. You have to move your eyes off of your marriage and frustrations and the things that you don't have right now and learn to be content. We looked at the passage in Philippians 4 where Paul wrote that he was content in whatever circumstance he found himself. That's from Philippians 4.12. I found it interesting that Paul, twice in the passage, talks about learning to be content. He says in verse 11, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And then later, in the second half of verse 12, he writes, 
I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So the question is, how do we learn something? Uh, We would suggest to you that there are a number of ways to learn something. The first is, we have to begin to study it. We need to make a shift in our thinking about an issue by studying God's Word and all these passages related to contentment. This is the power of God's Word as He begins to take away that discontentment and replace it with thankfulness and rest and faith. Once we've studied something, we need to actively change our thinking. The truth has to permeate our hearts and minds. Once you know the truth, you need to consciously and proactively change your thinking when you veer off into discontentment and grumbling. You have to cut off those old thoughts and put on new thoughts related to what you've studied in God's Word. I think it's also important that we include a lot of repetition in learning. I'm studying Spanish right now, and there is an incredible amount of repetition to make sure that it really sinks in and stays in my thinking. These concepts in the scripture relate to contentment, need to be reviewed every day and hidden in your heart every day. If you do that, you'll find that your heart begins to change and you can find yourself in a place that Paul was. He had learned to be content in any situation that he found himself. Learning takes a lot of work. It takes dedication and consistency. You can do it. It's important enough for you to do it to move past discontentment and to move into the place where God can better use your marriage relationship because your heart is right. So your homework, should you choose to accept it, is to study and learn how to be content. Review the scriptures that we covered and the concepts. Start a journal about those things and review those often and ask the Lord to change your heart. Well, let's pray. Father, you have given us so much. And I pray for anybody listening to this in their marriage relationship or any situation where they're discontent and grumbling, that you would begin to help them to make a shift, to move toward a place where they are so thankful, so content, so restful in you for what you provided. You provided for their needs. And we ask for you to do this through your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's again it for this episode. Thanks for listening. We would love to get your input and suggestions. You can reach us at marriedbydesign01 at gmail.com. Would you post a link on your Facebook page for this podcast to let your friends know about it? Next week on the podcast, we're going to be looking at how to deal with conflict and speak the truth and love in the struggling marriage. That's what we'll be looking at next time on Married by Design. (laughs) 